Welcome to the e-commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. Now, the e-commerce podcast is all about helping you to deliver e-commerce wow. And to help us do just that today, I am going to be talking with Austin Sims from Dayrise about why it's time you knew the environmental impact of your product. But before I jump into this fantastic conversation with Austin, let me suggest a few other e-commerce podcast episodes to listen to that I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, try listening to Will Lawrenson's episode where we talked about what we asked, is customer value optimization the real silver bullet of e-commerce? And also check out my fantastic conversation with Rishi Rawat uh, on how to optimize conversion rates using buyer psychology. Just head over to ecommercepodcast.net. You can get those episodes for free. There's a search feature on there and you can find them no problem. Now, this episode is brought to you by the e-commerce cohort, which helps you to deliver e-commerce wow to your customers. I've been waxing lyrical for the last few weeks about e-commerce cohort and why not. It's brilliant. It's like a it's like a mastermind group, a lightweight kind of cohort group that you can join. And it works on the idea of cycles. And what I mean by this is uh, each month you are going to deep dive into a topic related to one of the key areas of e-commerce. So let's take something like marketing, for example. And that month you are going to do a whole a whole thing around digital marketing for your e-commerce business. So it starts off week one is like a coaching session. You just watch it. You know, you watch this stuff online and you think about your business and you start to create action plans. Week two, there's some quite specific coaching from an expert that comes in, which is brilliant. Week three, you get to do some work. You get to present what's going on. There's live Q&As where you can ask your questions. And week four, oh yes, that's where, if you're up for it, you can post your work, what you're doing, and be held accountable by the group, which let me tell you is an amazing thing. It means things get done. So not only do we learn, we get things done. It's important, it's essential. So whether you are just starting out in e-commerce or if like me, you are a well-established e-commercer, I think honestly, you should check it out. It is an incredible thing for those of us who are involved in e-commerce. Head over to ecommercecohort.com. Uh, you can find more information on the website. That's ecommercecohort.com. Or if you've got any questions, just email me directly and I'll try my level best to answer them at matt at ecommercepodcast.net. So without further ado, here is my fantastic conversation with the brilliant and inspiring Austin Sims. So welcome to the e-commerce podcast with uh, me, Matt Edmondson. I am with Austin, who is the co-founder of Dayrise. Now, after 20 years spent working in senior positions at major corporations like Nike and Philips and Brooks running, they all seem to be centered around athletics a little bit. Uh, Austin has uh, had a desire to use his skills to address this huge issue of climate change. Now, with a strong commercial background, he believed that putting the power in the consumer's hands was important to make real change. And I want to know why, and we're going to get into all of that. Uh, Austin recognized that the first thing that consumers needed to make positive change was access to information to make 
better decisions, which is why he co-founded Dayrise to make uh, impact assessment transparent for business and consumers. Yes, we are going to get into all of that uh, as we ask the question and talk about all stuff to do with uh, environmental impact, e-commerce, your products, the whole nine yards. So Austin, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Oh, no worries. Now, you uh, are, uh, as we were talking before we hit the record button, you're an, you're an Aussie living in Amsterdam. How did that happen? Uh, yeah, I think the my, my career got me here. I was actually, in, in your intro, you talked about sports being a bit of a theme. I worked at Nike for, for quite a long time. I guess it was sort of my, my learning patch where I learned most of what I know. Uh, and I started out in Australia and then I got transferred to to, to Amsterdam uh, back in 2007 with my wife and we got stuck here to be honest I think um, so my wife's Australian as well um, but I think the lifestyle in Europe um, is just something that we, we really enjoyed so we've got a family now and we're, we're pretty rooted here so Australia's still home um, it still feels like home when we go back there but I think we're pretty we're pretty well ensconced in European lifestyle. That's really interesting because your parents are English, right? So you, you kind of, they go to Australia and you've come back to Europe. You've not quite made it all the way back to England yet, though. Yeah, it's quite funny, actually. See, my parents, my, we, we did emigrate when I was young. So I was one year old when I went to, to Australia. So I was born in England. Not that I tell many people that because um, <laughs> I'm, I'm fully Australian. Uh, but, yeah, we did make it back to Europe. But my wife actually has Croatian background as well. So both of us have sort of a European vent. And I think growing up... Um, in Australia, like the Europe was always this magical place, and the fact that we live in Europe after 15 years and can be in Spain or Italy or London, you know, in a couple of hours is still uh, the, the novelty hasn't worn off. So we still really enjoy that. That's fast. Now, do you? But do you actually do that though? Because I mean, I've lived in England a long time, and I've travelled most of the world i've seen a lot of it and it's a beautiful place but rarely and people say to me all the time oh it's great you know where you live because you can jump on a plane you can be in paris you can be in barcelona you can be and i kind of sit there and go yeah but i i, I rarely actually do that i don't know why but i rarely just go well bugger it i'm just going to go to barcelona for the weekend uh i would say we do certainly not as much as we used to pre-kids um but i think it's, it's always the case, isn't it, that you never sort of uh, appreciate your own backyard. And so when people tell you that they've been to Australia, to me, most people that have been to Australia have seen far more of Australia than I have because I've never <laughs> been to Ayers Rock, I've never been to Broome, uh, I've never been to Darwin. And obviously but when you travel there, you 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 feel compelled to actually go and visit these yeah. things. So I think it's just the nature of we, if you come from somewhere, you probably don't appreciate it as much. But we, we, we're pretty good. As I said, the novelty hasn't worn off so we generally get somewhere once a month to, to see something new. Yeah, that's fascinating. So how did you um, how did you sort of head down this road then uh, of the environmental cause? Because, um, and, and maybe this is just something that I have a misinterpretation on, which I'm, I'm totally aware of. Um, I would not have associated brands like Nike with big on being big on uh, environmental change or uh, sustainability side of things so how did you how did you sort of enter that road i think it's probably more, more life stage for me so uh i was actually away on holiday with with my co-founder um and how it actually started was our we both had kids about the same age and our kids were playing in the in the swimming pool and they were playing on this flotation device. I think it was a unicorn, um, but this big device, and obviously they were having fun with it. And we got into a, a big debate about 
whether that was sustainable or not. Like with this, this mm. bit of plastic that we just bought, it's probably going to be used for a week. Um, there was a great sense of enjoyment our kids were having, but, you know, is it really something that we can consider consider sustainable? And what are all the different inputs and anomalies that you need to include in that to assess something as sustainable? And after two days of debating, I think what we realised was that we didn't know, we had no idea, and we were just debating our separate points of view. And so that that really triggered something in us um, to explore that further. So that, that started a pretty long journey that got us to where we are today, sort of almost four years later. But I think for me personally, it was more, I'd worked in big corporate jobs for quite a while um, mm. and I was looking for the next challenge. My, my kids are young, um, so they've got two Greta Thornburgs at home that constantly remind me what a crappy job we're doing uh, in terms of saving <laughs> the planet. So it was more it was more just a, can, can I use the, the knowledge that I've had, the connections that I have and the skill sets that I have to actually turn mm. that to, to something that's doing good for the planet? Now, we, now I'm not an activist, um, so I'm learning a lot at the same time and I've learned a lot over the last three years, but we've surrounded mm. ourselves with really intelligent people that understand this space. Um, so that's really helped on, on, on my journey. So it's more about a, a life stage for me. And, and we're not a charity. We're a for-profit business. Like we, we really mm. think that business has a really big role to play and that if you mm. can actually make being more sustainable commercially and a, a commercial incentive, both for us and the businesses that we work for, that's really going to accelerate change. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting you say that actually, you know, about uh, not being an, an activist but being a business and we can do something. I, I, I don't know if you come across the Elderman Report, which has come out recently. Um, the Elderman Trust Report, which is quite an interesting piece of research which has been done. Um, and in that, they interviewed, I th- I want to say around 40,000 people across the globe. There's a lot of people. It's more people than I would talk to, I have to be honest with you. Um, and they, they surveyed a shed load of people from all kinds of different nations. And what was interesting was um, one in two people that they surveyed believe that businesses are not doing enough to address climate change and income income inequality. Um, And only 40% of the people thought that the um, uh, information that businesses put out about these topics was actually trustworthy, which I thought was interesting given our conversation today. But three out of four people expect CEOs to shape and lead conversation on climate change and wage inequality, right? Some two key big issues that keep coming up. Um, and so I, I find this fascinating that here you are, right? As a guy, lifestyle change it it's interesting it all starts off by looking at a unicorn i'm sure there's all kind of jokes that we could (laughs) (laughs) we could make uh, about how many unicorns have started something quite quite interesting um but it it, it's interesting to me that here you are using your um position in business to shape and drive something like climate change um and this is actually now what the world is expecting more and more and i at least it is from this report i i don't know if this is your your findings as well yeah absolutely i think uh i think we're all just more aware generally but certainly as the you know younger generations grow up and become you know bigger parts of our society and have bigger spending power that just accelerates it and and i yeah. think they're right i think Business does have a leadership role to play in terms of addressing climate change. It, it needs to, and and believe me that every every CEO of a big company has sustainability in their top three priorities. They, they know mm. that they need to change. Now, the issue that they've got is how how do they do it? Because it's 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 not easy, and and it's nuanced to do that. So, 
Um, we're certainly seeing the, the lead from consumers uh, really driving pressure on business, but also investors. I mean, you see a lot of investment companies now, even the big ones, um, make sure that the reporting of their companies aren't just financial reporting, but it's impact reporting as well. So business is getting pressure from consumers. Um, it's also getting pressure from shareholders and investors and from employees. Like even, you know, as these younger generation hits the workforce, they want to make sure that they're aligning themselves with companies that have shared values with them. Um, and a lot of that is to do with, with fairness and sustainability. And, and we we define sustainability broadly. It's not just about the environment, it's the social sustainability. So you talk about a fair wage, that's really important for us as well. And, and we measure that. Um, so definitely there's a there's a there's a growing trend of consumers wanting that and driving that pressure on business. Um, government's slow to catch up and, and government is designed to act slowly. The whole mechanism of government, whether it's a country or whether it's the EU, mm. they're designed to make slow decisions because they have far-reaching consequences. But the government's catching up and the EU released their latest um, directive earlier this year that starts to provide that framework for companies that they need to report um, aggressively and openly about their sustainability. So it's coming, but at the moment it is mm. consumer-led. Um, and I think they're right. I think that businesses aren't doing enough, um, but they're trying. And I would mm. say that there's there's definite intent. There's real intent. And we, we speak to big businesses, large and small. So we've got over 500 businesses that we work with. We work with some of the biggest brands in the world and small companies that make 10, 10 products. Um, mm -hmm. And I would say that there's definite intent to get better. Just the big guys have a longer journey to get there. And you would be amazed when the uniqueness of our technology is that we can measure impact at a product level. So for every individual consumer product, we can isolate what that impact is. And brands just don't know their impact um, yeah. in terms of what the actual impact is. So there's a real role for us to play and, and other companies like us to bring that level of transparency to the brands because it's only once the brands have that level of transparency that they can bring that forward to consumers as well. So um, I, I, sort of full disclosure, obviously I run my own businesses and I sit here and I have conversations with my kids about, you know, sustainability and climate change and um, fast fashion. And I mean, all the, you know, all the words come out and some of them I understand and some of them I don't. And I'm trying <laughs> to, I'm trying to play catch up a little bit, but um, you talk about um, there is a real desire. I, I think, I, and I agree that there, there is a real desire amongst people to do things better and right for climate change. Um, the, 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 the key thing you said was how do we do that? Right. So um here I am running, say, a medium-sized e-commerce business or, you know, people are listening to the show, they're running small business, mom and pop businesses and all that sort of stuff. I think, is this something that actually they can get involved with or is it, do we have to sort of put everything in the hands of the larger corporations like the Nikes and the Philips and the Brooks running and all that sort of stuff? Or is, I guess, how do we, how do we as the smaller guys get involved is probably what I'm asking. I really think um, sustainability in six plus years will be a hygiene factor. I think everything will be regulated and standardised and mm. it'll be hard to use it as a differentiator. I really think for small and medium-sized businesses, there's a real opportunity at the moment to use it as a differentiator, particularly against the big guys because you can yeah. change faster um, and, and adapt. And I think those brands and companies that can make that change now and really put it at the centre of what they do are, are going to set themselves up for long-term success as a brand. So... I think there's absolutely opportunity. What what we've done, what we've very been very conscious of as we've thought about our business model is um, how do we make sustainability accessible for everyone? 
Uh, yeah. That's from a consumer level and from a business level as well. So we all, we talk all about democratizing sustainability and making it very accessible because really at the moment the standard way to actually understand the impact of a consumer product, it's called a life cycle assessment. And what you do with that is you actually map the actual input of all the different uh, materials and ingredients of your products, the manufacturing process, and you actually map it precisely. Now it takes about three or four months to do for one single product and costs you about $20,000. So that only enables the big brands to do that. So that, that's when yeah. it is only in the hands of the big brands. What we've done, and it took us two and a half years to develop, is we've developed a technology that can rapidly approximate that. So we, if you give us enough data sources about where your product is made, uh, what are the materials that go into it, what's the weight of those materials, you know, where it gets sold, um, we can actually accurately approximate a, a life cycle assessment that can fill in those mm -hmm. blanks. And so now we take that what is a three-month process and we make it you know 30 minutes um we take it from twenty thousand pounds to sixty dollars per product or sixty pounds wow. per product and now all of a sudden everyone can get access to the same level of information and the reason why the big brands are working for us is because they don't want to spend thirty thousand dollars per product either they want to get a rapid approximation yeah. which which we can provide them um so at, at 60 pounds of product that scales for them because they've got tens of thousands of products and for the small mm -hmm. brands that have uh, that have five, ten, fifteen products, it also becomes affordable for them. So we, we're really big on making sure that this isn't just for the big guys. That whether it's a, a smaller e-commerce platform that works with brands and they can work with their brands to get the score, or the brands themselves, this level of transparency. And and, and we're all about transparency. Again, the, we talk about the consumer demand. What well, consumers just want is transparency. They just want to know. It's it's crazy that it's twenty twenty two and when we go shopping mm -hmm. for anything. We still don't know the impact of the products. Yeah. We still can't compare it. I mean, we've had nutritional labelling on the back of product for 20-plus years, and we're all more conscious of sustainability to varying degrees, but it's important to some degree to all, if not most of us. Um, and, and yet we really don't have the, the transparency to make better informed decisions. And it, it's coming, and, and now we've got a tool that can actually accelerate that um, for both mm. small, medium and large businesses. Well, I want to uh, talk to you about your tool, actually, and in a, in a, we'll get to that in a minute. But I just want to pick up on this point of transparency and, and actually this idea of differentiation. Uh, so the small uh, mom and pop e-commerce store, the medium e-commerce store, actually, you can still use this as a real differentiator. But that has to be more than just saying we're sustainable. Right. Uh, and we're, we're big fans of sustainability. And I see this a lot on websites, you know, one tree planted for every order and all this sort of stuff. And I think. Um, how do you stop it being gimmicky and how do you start it being genuine? Do you know what I mean? Rather than just put in some kind of picture of a windmill and, you know, we're, we're, we're environmentally sustainable, sensible people, um, to actually be in something that is genuine um, and believable because this was one of the things that came out in that report. People write this stuff on the website, but most people don't believe it. And so how do we, how do we create that? that genuine sort of information? How do, we, how, do, how do we help our customers sort of see that we're actually we really are genuine people? Yeah. I think um, it's just it's around action, isn't it? So mm. tra transparency is a big word for us. So we, 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 we're independent from the brands. So in terms of credibility, um, we, we do an independent verification of the brand. So it's not the actual brands rating themselves. I think that's the issue with a lot of sustainability claims. They're self-claims. Mm -hmm. So it's either the company saying that we're sustainable 
um, or, or, or the products itself positioned as sustainable. We actually independently verify that. So we have no, there's no upside to us in terms of how sustainable that product is. So it's independently verified. Um, the the rigor that we go through is is is, is quite um, is, is quite deep, and we'll talk about the technology in in a bit, I'm sure. But um, rather than just saying you're sustainable, you need to prove it. And if you've got a, a website that actually enables consumers for the first time to really understand the impact between two products that they're comparing and compare that on sustainability. Now, they may choose the product that's not as sustainable as the other one because there's lots of different factors that come into mm -hmm. any purchase decision, you know, you know the, the colour, the size, um, the excess, whatever it is. But I think consumers just want that level of transparency and I think we have a tool that makes that fast and easy to access mm -hmm. for companies and when you can actually integrate that into your website, you're not saying you're sustainable. What you're doing is you're providing consumers the chance to make informed decisions about the sustainability of products that you have on your website. And then by definition, you become sustainable. So you don't need yeah. to say that you're sustainable, but if you are all of a sudden introducing a tool that easily enables consumers to compare the products that you have, that really starts to position yourself as, as quite credible in that space. Okay. So listen, uh, we are going to get into this a whole bunch more. Don't go anywhere as we just take a moment to hear from this week's show sponsors. And I'll be back with Austin in just a few short seconds. Hey there, are you a business owner? Here at Orion Digital, we know firsthand that running an e-commerce business can be really hard work. As the online space gets more competitive, it is becoming even more challenging to stay ahead of the curve. We totally get it. So we want to help you succeed by offering a wide range of services, from fulfillment, marketing, customer service, and even coaching and consulting, just so that you can do what matters most. Save yourself the time and the money and let us handle the day-to-day -day tasks. This way, you can run your business without having to worry about the boring stuff. So what do you say? Are we a good fit for each other? Come check us out at oriondigital.com and let us know what you think. Uh, so, Austin. Uh, transparency uh, is a word that you've mentioned um, uh, a fair bit, and again, I I just want to dig into this because what I don't want I don't want transparency just to be one of those core company values that people have, and it doesn't really mean anything. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those sort of buzz business words. Now, I worked for several years on the board of a PLC here in the UK that was a fair trade organisation, and transparency was one of those big key things. It's like how can how can we trace this product all the way back to its uh you know its birth and all the different people that have handled it along the way and how were they paid and how was it made and what were the ingredients used and so on and so forth and the more transparent that we could make that cycle or the the more we recorded that information the easier it was to say yes this is a fair traded product because um as you know fair trade stamped on a product doesn't always mean fair trade. There's degrees of fair tradeness, shall we say. Uh, there are some which sort of get through by the skin of their teeth, and there are some which are sort of, you know, full on <laughs> fair trade. But it's the same mark, right? And there was no differentiator in that sort of level of transparent, uh, it's the wrong phrase. There was no differentiator. You were fair trade or you weren't. And it, it became very digital, uh, whereas my experience here is actually it's quite analog. And I'm going to assume that for most of us uh, running sort of websites, we're going to be analog, aren't we? We're going to be somewhere of a, on a sort of a, a scale 
uh, of environmentalness. Is that a word? I don't know. Uh, do you, but do you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. So how do we, um, how, what sort of things can we do to, um, as well as obviously using your system, getting our products rated, but what are some of the other things that we should think about that, that get us further on that scale, not just because we've got a mark, but because actually it's good for humanity to do so? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point about eco-labels. And um, I think eco-labels served a real purpose a couple of years ago, but now with over 500 eco-labels on the market, it starts to add to the confusion rather than provide clarity. Mm. And and the issue with eco-labels, aside from the fact that there's too many, is exactly what you said. They're binary. You either are or you aren't. Mm. You're either fair trade or you're not. And as you say, within that fair trade, there's a scale. So... Just to touch on the diff- what's different about our product quickly is we, we provide that. So we actually score the products out of 100. So you're not okay. a day rise or you're not. You actually, um, you know, over five dimensions of sustainability, which are really rigorous, we rate you on each of those five and you get a score out of 100 for each of those five and then you get an mm-hmm. overall score out of 100. So what that does is remove that issue that you talked about there, which is, um, you know, that degrees of which you are fair trade and do you just get in or do you not get in? Well, you can compare products. One's an 81 and one's a 62 or one's an 85 and, and a 78. Yeah. But you can actually now bring that level of granularity to really understand it. And then you can go into as much detail as you want. And that's the, that's the thing with this that we found is I think everyone's, again, interested in sustainability to some level. Um, how how much you are into that, uh, I think, is, is dependent on the individual. But we have a tool that enables you just at a top line to compare scores mm. and be happy with that score. Or you can really dive into the detail and understand, well, why did it get that score? How did it get that score? What's that score made up of? So it depends on the level of granularity that you want. But I think that's a real unlock for consumers when we talked about transparency mm. is it's not just a fair trade logo. It's a, actually a really rigorous number that they get that they can actually mm. compare products with and start to make these better decisions. Well, makes them better. So, what are these sort of five dimensions then that you score products on? Yeah. So, so the um, so we're a B two B company. So we work directly with brands. Um, we do that either directly with the brands themselves or, or via uh, retailers and e commerce platforms. So we work with a number of small and, and large retailers that um, connect us with the brands. We need the information from the brands to score the products. So we we work with the brands. Uh, there's a certain amount of information that we need to get, and we've got a, 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 a tool that does that. And then, and then our technology works in two ways. The first way is I, I touched on it a moment ago: is no brand has all the information. We capture we capture about 120 different data points about about a, mm-hmm. a particular product, so it's all done at a product level. So for each individual product, you have to fill out a survey. Um, no brand, and we work with some of the biggest brands in the world. I won't call them out on this podcast. Um, and small brands, no no brand has all the information. And you'd be surprised mm-hmm. how much limited information some brands have, big brands that you would expect to know more. And that can be quite discomforting sometimes. So the first way that our technology works is, okay, you're missing this information, um, mm-hmm. but we know because you've given us this information, we can pretty accurately approximate what this is. Um, so we've got 31 different databases that we call, we call upon. We've got machine learning that then goes, okay, based on the information that you're missing, but the information that we have, What's the right data set for us to call upon? So the first thing we do is actually fill in all the blanks. So that gives us a complete picture of the product. Um, so that's the first way it works. The second way it works is then we pass that information through our five dimensions of sustainability. And then out of that, you get a really detailed report 
um, across mm-hmm. those five dimensions about what you're doing well and what you're not doing well and your impacts. And then there's a consumer, a, a more simplified version of that report that's a, that's a consumer widget that then goes onto your website. Mm-hmm. We're actually working with some retailers now to put that report in store via QR codes, but there's a, a simplified version that goes to consumers. Um, and, and the five dimensions that we measure across is are really important to us because it's 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 important that you get a really holistic view of the product because mm-hmm. we talk a lot about carbon and net zero and that's great that we talk about that but carbon's only one measure of sustainability and that's mm-hmm. what makes it so complex is it's, it's it's multifaceted so the five dimensions we look at are cl- climate impact which is carbon right so we look at how much carbon do you does this product use to source the materials to manufacture it and to distribute it to the end consumer you need to be able mm-hmm. to give you a really accurate view of that, that product we look at the ecosystem impact so how does it affect the wildlife around it? How does it affect the biodiversity? How much water does it use to actually create this product, um, which is you know super important? Um, and then we look at the secularity of the product. So from the input of the materials to make the product, so how much of those are reused and recycled, but also at the end of life of the product, how much of it can be reused? Um, so you get a real sense of how, how circular it is in contributing to the circular economy. They're the environmental factors that we look at. And we said it at the at the front. We also look at the social factors as well. So fair pay. So we look at the livelihoods and the well being that actually mm-hmm. of the people that actually create the product. So how are people treated through the workforce? Is, is it fair pay? Is there gender equality? Is there worker protection um, to make sure that the people uh, who are making the product are also protected? And the last thing we look at is the is the purpose of the product because you can make a. a a really sustainable product, but if it's got a low purpose, it's still using up a lot of the Earth's resources in yeah. a way that they could probably better deploy. So we look at, you know, is it, is it really something that's a you know purposeful for human needs? And for that, we use a, an extended version of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So we we assess each of those. You know, they're all scored out of 100. They all contribute 20% to an overall score. Um, and what that does, again, is two things. You get really detailed reports that, that you know, brand manufacturers can use to actually assess their product and make better products. But there's a really engaging consumer output piece that then for the first time enables consumers to understand that impact and make quick comparisons between products to make better decisions. Wow. So it's quite, when you say, how did you come up with those sort of five things? Because that is quite thorough. It is quite holistic. It's not focusing in on one thing. Has this sort of been a process of trial and error for you guys? Yeah, we, we um, so I think I said at the outset, I'm not a sustainability expert. Um, my, my, one of my co-founders was, and we found others, uh, we, we ended up with four co-founders and two, two of them are sustainability experts. Um, and then we got 20 of the world's, or certainly Europe's best um, sustainability experts and, and ecologists to actually build it. So they worked on it for two and a half years um, to, wow. to develop it. And But we also have a really rigorous um, testing program. So we actually send out the methodology to leading academics um, and NGOs and get them to critique it. So there's certain NGOs that are experts in circularity. So we got them to input into it, some expert on greenhouse gases. So it was a really robust process that took us two and a half years to develop and we continue to refine it. So each year we update it um, because sustainability science doesn't stand still, it continually improves. But there's, you know, we, we recently got audited by SGS, which is the sort of global standard for auditing, and they verified that we're the fastest, most holistic and accurate way to measure impact at a product level. So that's a good place for us to be, um, but we want to continue to get better. Um, so mm. we're constantly re-looking at the methodology, taking feedback from partners and also NGOs and lending academics to make sure that it's, you know, it's, it's as rigorous as it, as it can be. Wow. I mean, I've... How you've done it, but I've no idea. I, I take my hat off to you for actually doing it because I I personally wouldn't know where to start with something like that. Uh, and, and here you are, you've got a sort of full-on blown product. Um, 
that took two and a half years to, to get together. And I noticed actually, um, you put on LinkedIn earlier that tonight you're headed to the NBCC Awards, uh, which I this is something that I didn't even know existed. Was it's the Netherlands British Chamber of Commerce, uh, which has been around apparently since 1891 uh and the awards in amsterdam where you guys have been nominated for 2022 technological innovation award alongside companies and this tickled me uh van moof uh the bike uh the coca-cola company the heineken company texaco uh, texaco tesco unilever i mean there are some big names that you've been named amongst to get this sort of tech award um and i'm assuming this is related to this algorithm, machine learning, whatever it is you've got working across these sort of five areas, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so that's that's a nice feather in our cap, to be honest, to be sort of mentioned in the same awards ceremony as, as, as those guys. Uh, but what, what we've built is really hard. Like, it's not easy. It's a really difficult piece of technology. I, honestly, um, we, we thought it would take us six months to build. That's what we right. told our investors. Um, and it's just so <laughs> complex um, that it just got bigger and bigger on us. And we decided to go all in. Uh, rather than take yeah. shortcuts, so, and I think that gets recognised um, by the by the size of the brands that we're working with, and we're working with a lot of those brands that you mentioned in terms of scoring those scoring their products, um, but also at an innovation. We, we were in London at the retail technology show uh, maybe four weeks ago, and we won best innovation at the whole show. So we're seeing that level of recognition not just from the partners that we work with, but also sort of industry, and that's that's great. That's great for the team to see that because. You know, we're, we're a purpose-driven company, even though we're, we are for profit. You know, we, we do believe that we have a role to help us all make better decisions, both business and consumers. So mm. for us to be at this award ceremony with these guys is, is uh, yeah, it's a bit of a thrill, to be honest. So I'm wearing black tie tonight. I think it's been a while since I've been invited to a black tie. <laughs> thing, so I might have to, 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 to get my wedding suit from about 20 years ago. Just breathe in when you wear it. Just breathe in. <laughs> That's what I have to do. <laughs> there it is. Um, uh, you are quoted as saying, um, climate doomism is an easy out and leads to climate inaction. What is climate doomism and why is it an easy way out? And you, this is something that you put on LinkedIn with an article from the BBC. I just refresh you where you actually said this. Yeah, this is a big one for me um, because... I think sustainability is, a, is an overused and misused term. I think um, it's sort of become a lot. It's become quite opaque in terms of what something is that is sustainable. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think the the context around sustainability is so negative uh, and so makes us it's so guilt led in terms of making us all feel guilty about what we're doing or what we're not doing. Um, mm -hmm. And guilt isn't a positive emotion. It doesn't lead to positive consumer action. And so mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is is lean into solutions rather than talking about the problem. We, we all know the problem. Um, and, and aside from a few of us, I think we all it, it can accept that climate change is real and it's not mm. coming, it's here now. And, mm. and we all have a role to do. As much as we point the finger at business, um, we all have a role to do. And we, we're a solutions-based business. So we deliberately don't point the finger at organisations that are or are not doing well. What, what our job is to do is to partner with them and, and help yeah. them get better. So whether it's you know, not, not putting the finger at business as being a bit solution or for consumers, giving them an easy step to become more sustainable. Um, that's what we're all about. How do we provide a path for both consumers and business? Because we do expect consumers and business to get better, but unless we give them the tools, and again, it comes back to that word transparency, unless we can help businesses really understand the impact of their products, 
it's hard for us to expect them to change. And same for consumers. Mm -hmm. We constantly, you know, even in the report that you mentioned previously, consumers want to make better decisions, but how can you? I mean, how do you Mm -hmm. possibly make a good decision about what product to buy if you don't have the right information? So Mm -hmm. um, what we're trying to do is, is just rather than talk about sustainability and talk about the issues, shift the conversation to what can we actually do and be much more about solutions mm. for both consumers and business. That's really good because, like you say, it's easy. The whole doomism thing is very much, oh, I can't do anything, the problem's so big, makes no odds. How is your, I'm, I'm curious to know um, how since doing all of this, right, and, and getting much more involved because you, you it sounds like you started out like someone like me. You had an interest in it, but you weren't an activist and you weren't an expert. How has your own personal consumer behavior changed in the last few years as day rises risen, I suppose? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? As it as it's sort of as it's grown and you've you've understood these things more and more. What are some of the big changes you've been noticing in your own buying behavior? Um uh, it certainly makes you more conscious. Um I think the hardest thing that I find to give up is travel. We talked about that already. Mm-hmm. Um, so my 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 footprint is pretty big, um, or bigger than I than I'd like it to be. In full transparency, when it comes to travel, but that's a, that's something that, that I'm really passionate about. I think my um, I think your shopping habits change in terms of how much you order. You, you just just mm-hmm. knowing that you know when you when you when you know that a pair of jeans takes twenty thousand liters to make, you can't unknow it once you know it. It's, it's, it's really mm. difficult. So fa- fashion is a big one, um, which, which we know. It's a, it's a hot button and it's an easy one to po- point the finger at. But mm. um, I think I've probably gone back by a third in terms of the amount of clothes that I buy, just, just knowing mm. what the impact is. Um, and, again, not a judgment call on the industry or people that buy fashion. It's just a reality that it's a really proportionate to how much people actually spend on fashion and the impact of it. It's, it's, a, real, it's a real hot button. Um, and then the same for food, to be honest. I, I, uh, I've probably changed my diet a bit too. So I, I've cut down a, a lot on, on meat um, in terms of my consumption. Um, mm. And, again, once, once you know the sort of overall impact of it. So, And, again, I, I, I'm not one to preach because I think we all have our own path. Um, again, what our company is all about is just giving you the tools. So we won't mm. tell you what to buy and not what to buy. We'll, we'll just tell you what the impact of the products are. Yeah. And, and then you can make your own decision. But the, no, good, thing, the good thing is once you, once you know, you can't unknow. And not in a bad way. Mm. It just, it just you know, it slips into your consciousness and, and then you will naturally start to make better decisions. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fascinating. I, one of the companies that um, I'm, I have the privilege of being involved with is uh, a supplement company. And uh, specifically aimed at the vegan and vegetarian market. And so I've come to uh, understand the market much better in recent years. And it's interesting how 20 years ago, when you look at why people became vegans, it was because, well, we just don't like the whole cruelty to animal things. That's why we, we, we don't do the, you know, we have vegans and vegetarians. It's all because of the animals. What has changed, it seems to me, over the last 20 years is actually that's really important still as an issue for a lot of people. But there are bigger issues now in people's minds. And it is tied in with actually uh, personally being more healthy, but also um, the health of the planet. And so make and it's interesting hearing you talk about eating less meat as a deliberate choice to create a healthier planet and this is what we're seeing more and more now that actually sustainable 
sustainable issues like the health of the planet are driving individual consumer behavior in ways that we we just didn't predict five or ten years ago right yeah absolutely and I, th- I think that's a good example too like it goes back to that sort of climate doomsday or, or it's all or nothing like no one expects everyone to go vegetarian overnight or become vegan mm. and that's not what it's about it's about just making more informed choices and, and you may continue mm. to eat meat as much as you as much as you are at the moment once you know the impact of it or, or you may not but I think it's about making those simple choices to do a mm. little bit better each each time you do something and that's we talk a lot about people becoming paralyzed um, because you know as soon as you talk about people becoming vegan people go oh that's that's not for me I couldn't uh, yeah, do it yeah. and, and that may be true but maybe you don't need to become vegan but maybe it's just three days a week that you don't eat meat and you start to make yeah. those different choices. So, but you're right. I think veganism is a good one because as you say, it was mostly about animal cruelty sort of five years ago. I think more, I think mm. if you did a poll, this is me sort of guessing, I think a lot more people these days would say they've done it because of the environmental concerns. Well, it's now the second biggest reason that people right. become there you go. vegans. Um, uh, and animal cruelty is third uh, in the research that we've got. Um, and there may be some research that contradicts me. I can only go on what I know. Yeah, sure. But that sounds um, about right, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I, I'd like, I have to be honest with you, it's um, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? And the different types of food that we eat and the different clothes that we wear, we're starting to become much more aware that actually all of a sudden this has an impact. A cheap T-shirt in the store here, something's not right further down the supply chain for, to, for that to happen. And we're starting to wake up to that fact and ask questions, go, well, hang on a minute, how is this so cheap? Uh, and, and, and what does that actually mean in reality? Um, I'm not necessarily saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's time that we ask those kind of questions. Um, and I think bringing this back to e-commerce, um, as business owners, we need to understand that this actually is driving consumer behavior more and more and more and more. Um, from uh, We did... The- <laughs> I mean, can I tell you about a really big cock-up that we did? Maybe that would (laughs) help illustrate this process. Um, So we introduced onto our website, on the supplement website, a feature called Subscribe and Save because we wanted to reward our most loyal customers, the customers that keep coming back. And the subscription model is a great business model. And we're just like, what we didn't do when we launched this business model um, was make it easy for the consumer to choose how much they wanted to be shipped on the subscribe and save. It was almost like it was prescriptive. It's like, no, this is what you can have, and you can have it every 60 days, like an Olympic kind of a thing. And the amount of customers that got in touch with us and said, hang on a minute, I I want to ship less, not more, right? I I, I like being able to save money. I, I don't mind subscribing. I just don't want it every month. I want it every, I want six months worth of stuff every six months, right? And so this was a major piece of learning for us. That, you know, we should have thought this through a whole lot better than we did. And it was thanks to our consumers getting in touch with us, our customers going, hang on, you know, we're not satisfied. There was almost like a little bit of a revolt going on uh, uh, because because we'd made it more difficult to be um sustainable from their point of view and so i think as e-commerce entrepreneurs we have to be aware of these issues don't we we have to be aware for our own businesses that people do care and we therefore need to care as well and make it easy for people to make solid informed choices uh, and make it easy for people to feel like they're doing a good thing yeah and what i would say is consumers are forgiving they're not expecting us all to be perfect Um, they don't expect Mm. us to go from zero to 100 much as much as our own behavior won't get there what they want is, and I think your your example then illustrates this. They want choice. 
they want transparency. Mm. So they don't necessarily expect all your products or all your products on your e-commerce platform to be perfect. But if you give them the tools that they can actually understand it, they feel empowered. They feel like you're adding value for them. So I wouldn't say this is this is not just for sustainable websites. This is for any website that sells products. And just, yeah. just another dimension that you can provide value to your customers. You know, if, if you're the only one, I mean, if your website sells something that a lot of other websites do, but you're the only one that's actually giving the consumer the information about the sustainability, that's a real point of difference for you that you can actually talk mm-hmm. to the consumers and we know consumers value it. And we know also it's only one dimension that they're looking at. They're looking at a whole host of things, but it's a real value add that can help you differentiate yourself to your consumers. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Listen, Austin, it's been great having you on the show. You have done something, which I have to be honest with you, I remember sitting in the boardroom five years ago on the PLC saying, we need a fair trade index. We need to be able to score everybody's product, not just ours, but everybody's, Mars, everybody. I wanted like to give them a fair trade number so we understood what it actually meant rather than just a fair trade symbol. I wanted a number and we we just, we couldn't figure out how to make it work, but you have done that and that's remarkable. And so uh, thank you for doing that. I'm, I'm stoked, man. And it's great to have you on here and tell the good folks listening to the e-commerce podcast all about Dayrise. So how do they, how do they find out more? How do they reach out to you? How do they connect with you? Yeah, thanks, Matt. So uh, we, we've got our website, which is dayrise.io and that's Dayrise with a Z. Um, or, or feel free to contact me directly at austin at dayrise.com. That's awesome. And we will, of course, put uh, Austin's website links and emails and LinkedIn profile in the show notes. You can reach out to him and connect uh, with him, but um, I'm sure he'd love to hear from you uh, and give you some wonderful help and advice uh, on how to get started. But um, Austin, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's been a real pleasure. Matt, thank you. Really enjoyed it. So there you have it. What a fantastic conversation. Huge thanks again to Austin for joining me. Very inspirational. very doable right so thanks again austin brilliant and also let me give a big shout out to today's show sponsor the e-commerce cohort do head over to ecommercecohort.com for more information about this new type of mastermind for e-commerce that you can and should join now be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from because well you know the answer we've got some great conversations lined up and i don't want you to miss any of them. And just in case no one has told you today, let me be the first person to do it. You, my friend, are awesome. Utterly, utterly awesome. The e-commerce podcast is produced by Orion Media. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Josh Catchpole, Estella Robin, and Tim Johnson. Our theme song has been written by me. It was produced and magicified and all that kind of good stuff by Josh Edmondson, who happens to be my son. Uh, And we quite like it. Hope you like it too. Uh, If you would like uh, to read today's transcript or show notes, head over to the website ecommercepodcast.net, where you can also sign up for our newsletter, which you should do. Let's be real. Uh, That's it from me. Thanks for joining me. Have a fantastic week. See you next time. Bye for now.